one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. This is Jonathan Fields with this week's Good Life Project Roundtable. So that's a format where I have guests in residence. And we go around the table and we each throw out one topic and jam until we're, well, pretty much done jamming. My guests in residence today and for actually for three weeks now are two dear friends of mine. We have Amelia Zivotovskaya, who is a scientist. She has a master's in applied positive psychology runs the largest certification in applied positive psychology program in the world. And it's just a stunningly brilliant mix of deep academic and scholarship and also a pretty soft metaphysical side. And she blends it in a way which just makes you think. Also joining as a guest in residence for today and for three weeks now is Bob Gower. Bob is a deep systems thinker with a strong background in philosophy and um, agile development for those in the uh, sort of technology world. He's worked with teams at the highest level in some of the largest organizations and also startup entrepreneurs. He also has a background in cults and in all sorts of worlds where um, people influence others to make decisions. And that comes out in a lot of really interesting ways in the conversations over the next couple of weeks. So really excited to share these conversations with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. Hello, fabulous people. Back with this week's roundtable with my awesome guests, Emilia Zivotovskaya and Bob Gower. Round two, our guests and residents. So we're going to start out this week with Amelia. 
What are you, what are you thinking about? I am thinking about unadulterated joy and play. And the reason that's on my mind is because I have reclaimed the reins of my vitality over the past few weeks and got back into a daily exercise routine, 6 a.m., up, movement, Monday through Friday, give myself off on Saturday and Sunday. And I have found my myself being more playful again and more joyful and just reminding myself of like, oh my God, this feels so good. I feel like myself again. And then what happens when I get all stiff and stuck and how do we keep ourselves playing, not getting so caught up in our brain and what does our body have to do with all of it? And why don't we have more play dates? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That needs to be like a graphic. Why don't we have more play dates? Hashtag. Hashtag. <laughs> we really don't. I mean, what? so what's that about? Is it just, is it our maniacal obsession with filling every hour and being busy. I mean, so Amelia, you work with a lot of mortals all day long who are struggling probably with, with this very thing. So it's interesting to hear you say that like, okay, well, I'm the person who helps a lot of them and I'm struggling with it also. But what do you see as sort of the underlying thing there? I think that part of it, we would say, well, maybe there are less opportunities to play in, in our life. The way that when we get older, there are just not as many uh, containers being held. Like one of the things I love to do is create learning experiences for people where I get to infuse play and joy. Like I just had a group of 38 students hula hooping this weekend as part of a hula hoop contest and a long day long training thing. And when we do it, we're like, ah, oh, this is good. This is what it means to be alive. So I think and this I think was not, just, this was not a day long hula hoop. Training, it was not a day long <laughs> hooping training. It was a positive psychology training. Right? <laughs> but um, so I think it's just a number of factors. I think a lot of it has to do with our environment and how we do, we get sucked up into the things that we should be doing. And I think part of it has to, has to do with that thousands of years ago, we were wired where movement and skipping and running and expressing ourselves were such a part of our day. And we learned through movement and we were working with one another and we were testing our own limits. And it was kind of like, you know, maybe a form of play or, or gaming, like gaming meant hunting back then and, and being together. I think it was just such a part of our world. And now we have to, actively introduce it. And and for many of us, it's like, it's been so long that we completely forget how much we need it and we want it and how freeing it is until we actually start to do it again. And when we spend all day sitting, it's like the lethargic energy that comes from our body. And that's why I was like, I found myself finding my joy again, just because my body is moving again and I have energy with which mm -hmm. to move. Yeah. What about you, Bob? Well, I was just thinking, uh, so Alex, my wife just got home from a long trip yesterday and uh, she was unpacking and she pulled out her podcast microphone because she was doing a podcast in LA with somebody and her son picked it up and he said, welcome to the adult podcast where we talk about coffee and other boring things. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think there is like this, this is like being an adult is kind of like, you know, doing boring things. Right. I got to go, I went to a party on Friday night. I, I, I rarely go to these anymore, but I went to, the, I had this burning man, these burning man friends and they took me out to this dance party on Friday night and I find myself dancing all night long. And you know me, I'm not, I don't think of myself as much of a costume person or much of a dance person, but it was really nice to just kind of like let that stuff down for an evening and be in an environment where if you, if, if you, if I was my normal self talking about coffee and other boring things, 
then I would have been, I would have stood out. And so my desire to fit into that world actually had me kind of let my guard down a little bit more and dance. And I met some amazing people. And yeah, I think there's a really strong normalizing element to it also, yeah. which is part of what you're getting at. It's like when you're, when everybody around you is in the place of, you know, kind of like semi flatline and, and a life where play just isn't valued or incorporated on a pretty regular basis, then like your norm is that. So for you to actually go and be the playful one is you're the freak in the room, mm. you know? So you've actually got to sustain, you've not only got to rally the energy to do it, but you've also, you've got to kind of like, you know, you're, you're out of the community. So there's almost like a fear of judgment type thing going on. Whereas if everybody's kind of in the same place, you know, and it's like year, years ago, I went to a Tony Robbins, um, like day long thing. And, I, and, and it's funny because I was the curmudgeon in the back of the room. And I'm like, I'm just going to go because, you know, uh, I speak and, you know, I'm, I want to find out. This like, is research like, and like, development. This is, <laughs> this is all just finding you know, stagecraft. I'm going to be taking notes the whole time, right? And, you know, like, so the first, like, three minutes in, you know, he's like, everyone up, you know, like, hug your neighbor, chest bump, you like, shake hands, high fives. I'm like, well, all right. And then you, very quickly you realize, like, you know, if I'm in my seat while 4,999 people are all up and doing it, I'm the moron in the room. Like I'm the one who doesn't yeah. fit because he's created a norm of just like hyper engagement and energy and play. And so like within an astonishing short period of time, I'm that person too, because I'm, you know, like, because everybody else is. So I have permission, not only permission to be that person, but I'm the weirdo if I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we surround ourselves in like a culture devoid of energy and play and then it just it makes it really harder because not only do we have to actually go and figure out how to be playful again but we actually have to be willing to to stand out um and be the weird person and i think it's part of what goes on with burning man is it it normalizes it with our camp camp glp you know like the end of the summer you know 400 something adults literally get on planes from japan and australia for three and a half days where they can just play yeah. because you just don't have a lot of opportunities to do that. And the people around you don't really support it in everyday life. And I think it then comes interestingly to this idea of energy. Like we all want more energy and people talk about my energy's low or, or we drink coffee to keep ourselves awake. And we know that energy is this thing that we want speaks to what we we're talking about last episode. And we work so hard to generate it. But when we, play and we rejuvenate ourselves or when we have energy, we naturally just want to keep expending. It's this broaden and build effect. So I think the reason I'm finding myself more joyful and more playful again is because I've been recharging my body battery mm -hmm. and I have more energy and I want to expend it. And, and I do things that help generate more of it as opposed to the downward spiral of not moving and feeling kind of crabby and then choosing sugary food to keep my energy going. And then I crash. And so it's, it's, I feel that it, we have to work a lot harder to artificially generate energy when it's not there, but when we have it and we're, we're we want to keep it going and yeah, I mean, I feel like you, well, you're a, a very naturally, I think, exuberant person. At least that's how I experience you. Mm. Would you do you do you experience yourself in that way? I do. Yeah, yeah. zest and zest is a kind of big, yeah. yeah. And for myself, I don't I, like. I have the same issue around like keeping my energy up, paying attention to my diet and my exercise and meditation and kind of keeping all of that together. But I think then there's another element that I require, which is I need to have like a boundary around the thing. Like going to this party gives me that permission in order to do that thing. And it also creates sort of a bounded environment. Um, you know, having hung out with kind of some of the Burning Man communities and people who can also kind of get, I, I don't want to just 
single out Burning Man here, but like people who can get lost in the exuberance and kind of forget the practicality, like their whole life, the rest of their life starts to fall apart. Mm. And they're not a, it reminds me of like the businessman in middle age who, you know, destroys his whole family in order to marry the young secretary who somehow makes him feel alive where rather than just finding a way to make himself feel alive and keeping the rest of his life together because that serves him as well. And I'm wondering like, what's the, like what's the difference between this? What's the toggle between stability and between exuberance? Like how does that show up in your lives? I think it has to do with how much control you have over your energy. If you don't have tools for managing your own energy, then you are looking to external resources to be able to find it. And I think that in it's, I, I love polarity modeling, right? Because we can talk about uh, energy to charge to uh, discharge to recharge or having energy to having downtime. And, and when, when you're vibrating well, then you're able to recharge your energy when you need it and then use it and then recharge it and then use it and then recharge it. But when you don't know how, you don't know how to, take care of yourself then other influence you depend very much on other people for it so i think it has a lot to do with self-care practices and isn't part of that also like choosing the people that you spend time with or choosing the environments that you yeah. enter and Huge. don't enter which we were talking about yeah i mean like yeah. our team here yeah you know, like we're if you look at our like you know our slack mm-hmm. we're like a bunch of morons also all taylor we're just like complete goofballs you know, like you'll see hashtags, you know, like nerd faces, all sorts of bizarre spellings. It's like we're 13 years old, but like it's deliberate. Like that's, we're all dorky and we all like to, like, we would rather have a playful dorky environment and culture than, you know, like adults talking about coffee. Yeah. Um, because that's what helps me stay alive. You know, that's, that's, I, I want to spend my days interacting like that with people who get that which is one of the reasons that I've been an entrepreneur for so long yeah. is because I get to choose the people and I get to create the culture. I mean, co-create it, but rather than step into somebody else's container where those people in that culture already exist. Yeah. So Bob, you want to uh, roll that topic number? Sure. So um, I don't know if you guys read this article in the times a couple of weeks ago uh, about, and I, I lost my notes before I came in. So I'm just going to, Go off. I can't remember people's names. I really wanted to credit the right names, but it was a, a composer, a guy named George Haas. I think was his last name, and then his his now wife, or they're they're now engaged, and he came out as a kinky dominant person, and he put an ad out, and now they're but they're very open about their relationship. So she's a submissive, he's a dominant, and they're writing about, and he's like probably one of the top twenty composers in the world right now and they're writing about this in the new york times they're being profiled on the times based on their kingy relationship which to me is like i mean 50 shades of gray being what it is you know like it's like you can kind of see the progression you can kind of back up even you know like stonewall and like gay rights and like we've been we've been coming more and more comfortable as a culture with things we might call shadow or we might call just stuff we didn't talk about you know stuff your mom didn't talk about we're starting to talk about as a culture and I noticed that we're able to bring more and more of ourselves public. It just seems like, you know, like seems like we're getting, it seems like it's kind of rapid. Like in the last 20 years, it seems like there's been a lot of change in what people are, are willing to talk about publicly and bring forward publicly. And I guess my, there, I have two questions kind of around this, but maybe we'll, when we come back around, we'll do an, maybe I'll bring this up another time. But the first is really like, 
like, where is this all going? Like, and, and, and what does this mean for our culture, for our businesses? Where have you noticed this showing up in your lives that like, can you bring more of yourself present forward safely without social um, reprobation? What's the rest the right word? I don't know the right word, but anyway, but without social consequence. I mean, not just social consequence, also, you know, like career consequence. Career consequence, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like bigger implications. Yeah, this guy didn't get I'm fired. S- this guy teaches students privately, like in yeah. colleges, and his supervisor is saying, well, maybe he just seems really authentic, and this is really great. And he doesn't bring that to his teaching. This is just part of, this is just who he is at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, because for me, I, there's, I'm still, there's so much that I'm not transparent about. Not that there's, you know, like this big dark shadow side to me, but there's just... Oh, we know the dark shadows. Is this your well, way yeah. of telling I'm, us that well, you're actually, dumb? Okay, <laughs> I flip back and forth depending on the day. Um, uh, you know, for me, it's it, there's a desire for me, it, and maybe it's a little bit different because there's a there's a side to me which is a public person. Yeah, and, but there's a side to me which very much no, does not want my family and my kid, you know, to be part of that public personage because it's sacred. So part of it is me wanting to protect them. And part of it is me wanting to protect the relationship that, that we have that's sacred. So there's a lot that I don't share that's not along the lines of kink or things like that that would be, you know, in some way like expose me to judgment, but just, I don't, I don't want it to this be is your business. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's something I think about constantly is where my line in the sand is. But what's interesting is, there's almost nothing that I think I would put out there that I don't, that it would be judged for, yeah. that I would have been judged for in the past. It's just, it's, it's more just a desire to keep public and private separate, but it's not in my head. I'm not thinking, well, although that's not true, right? Because there's a, there's a level of snark to me. Mm-hmm. There is a level of sarcasm, you know, that my close personal friends have seen and will see and continue to see and a level, you know, there's, there is a dry humor, <laughs> Um, that sometimes slips out. And what's interesting is it slips out when I'm on stage way more often than when I'm on the mic or when I'm writing. And I often wonder what that's about because when it comes out when I'm on stage where I'm literally just riffing and it comes out, pretty universally the response has been to me, people come up to me, they're like, where's that Jonathan Fields been? Because you should let him out more. So for some reason I'm more comfortable doing it there. But when I'm actually sharing myself with the world in writing or... And in some recorded media, I still censor a lot. Yeah, it's kind of like, how do you want to be, you want to be received, you want to be effective in a certain, in a certain way. I don't know, to me, it's always a moving line. And yeah. I mean, we've had conversations about this in the yeah. past, and you encouraged me to write about, let's say, some other portions of my life, which, which I was hiding. Um, and for listeners out there, I was in a cult for two years, and I've written publicly about this in the last year, largely because Jonathan encouraged me to kind of come out. But that took me bumping up against, because my work is about organizations, I realized that there was this very rich, because I'd had this like really interesting experience inside of a cult, there was this rich body of work or rich body of knowledge or experience that not everybody had. And so in some ways, I was hiding a differentiator for myself from a business perspective. And I was also just hiding a source of richness for myself personally. I wasn't able to talk about things in this sort of rich and nuanced way when I was working with organizations that I can not that everybody asks me about cults now, but it's it's large. I mean, it's something that people. But it, it's gotten some interest, but, you know. Yeah. Had, but but the flip side is that it took you years to be able to process it to a point where you could share it in a way where you thought it wouldn't be 
uh, negative in the context of the people who might eventually hire you. Yeah. And also, I think I had to get past my own shame about yeah. it or yeah. my, my, you know, like I had to get to a point where I think maybe, and maybe it was just time you get, you know, you say this happened 10 years ago and I feel like, okay, people judge it differently than if yeah. it was, you know, last year at this time I was in, you know, like that's a very, very different equation just for the listener. But I think it's also a very different equation for the teller, right? Because yeah. I had had time to gestate and process it with, with friends and, and professionals. Frankly, yeah. I know that when I trained my trainers, one of the rules that I, that I, not rules, but working models that I offer is I, we do do a lot of personal sharing and personal storytelling, primarily to show that positive psychology is about putting it into practice. And it's not about being perfect or happy all the time. It's, hey, we use these tools on a day-to-day -day basis, but I usually say, don't share anything that you yourself have not yet processed. Because if you share something that makes people feel like they have to take care of you, it, it throws off the energetic balance. And that's a sacred space. Like the people that I turn to for caring with me or caring for me are, are very different. So I don't want, you know, I, I want to share to serve my students or to even to share my, to, to serve my coaching clients, I'll share something that might be a help for them, but it's not about me. If I share something I haven't processed yet, then they have to try to take care of me. And that throws off the balance a little bit. Yeah. And then you're a helper, not a maker too. Right? That's true. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And then, and what's funny too, is that that's like sort of a classic thing. When I speak, you know, one of the like classic openings to develop rapport with an audience is be vulnerable right away. Tell a story that shows your vulnerability. But again, I'm not looking to the audience to then step in and save me. Yeah, it's just because I want to create a conversation where they're like, oh, yeah. he's 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 not like preaching from like some place. He's just one of us yeah. um, who's willing to go to that place. I'm gonna totally butcher something. I was just talking to one of my um, positive psychology educators that I know, and he was talking about how with anti-bullying, the huge emphasis that had been has been put out with acceptance and creating greater acceptance, acceptance in the schools, accepting everyone that blanking on exactly what he said, but he was saying that they had gone so far to accepting everyone that people were also then the kids in particular were losing the smaller community of what differentiates us from one another that, you know, I am different than you and I am and, and the smaller group is, is like, oh, accept everyone and be very accepting. So trying to find this balance, but I'm forgetting what the other side of that polarity was. And in my little wheels of my hamster are spinning and it's not coming to mind. But when you ask like, where are we going in this place of like, are we going so far to acceptance that we then can find this balancing point where we accept and we're tolerant and we celebrate diversity and, and also create it in a way that is really, really balanced and, and honors sacredness. Yeah. Do you, you guys know E.O. Wilson's work? The he, He's the ant biologist and he wrote his last book uh, was called The Social Conquest of Earth. And he looks at sort of the our social behavior. He's talking about humans in this case, but but also ants are sort of group adaptive, right? An ant, one ant by itself isn't very impressive, but you know, you, you put them all together and, and you know, in, into a, what, a hive or a mound or whatever, and, and they become very functional. And then also, you know, ants kind of hold the whole world together. Like if you remove ants from the ecosystem, the whole place falls apart. You remove humans from the ecosystem, you know, it kind of does a lot better probably. It probably thrives. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things he points out is that that religion is in a, in a shared creation myth is a really, really powerful differentiator. And it seems to have generated an awful lot of ability to cooperate among 
groups and you know so this so this tribalism which has between group has so many sort of negative connotations and even within group has so many negative connotations when you know public shaming and and ostracizing and and you know the the clamping down of individual expression all of the things that happen but evolutionarily it has a really powerful adaption and and so he talks about eusociality or hyper social species of which humans are one of four on the planet we're the only hyper social primate meaning that we would we we basically would care for the young of another as if it were our own we would you know sacrifice our own life walking out on the street you know like you see a baby carriage going into the street we would jump in front of that car most humans non psychopathic humans would do that whereas other primates that would be really weird behavior and other species that's really weird behavior so we're eusocial but i think there's this idea that i'm thinking about that where we've got that's usually that's that eusociality is often in group defined right it's defined by our tribe or our race but more and more especially in a multicultural place like new york city right where it's just expanding and expanding and we're always expanding what it means you know the definition of the word human in some ways it feels like we're all trying to encompass the entire human species and many people are trying to encompass other species as well and it feels like this is this there's this like where does it end you know and 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 is it a good thing for us like do we also lose our identity along the way like i'm not advocating for racism here people on, at home but but i am you know i am kind of in, in constant question about you know how do how does this process work and where does it, and where is it all going yeah i don't have an answer to your sorry question. that was that was like a long <laughs> lecture on one of my favorite geeky topics but. um no but it, it is interesting but and i think there are no answers but it does seem like a lot more people are exploring the questions and a lot more people are exploring them publicly and like you said i do agree that, that it seems like a lot more people are willing to actually go to places and reveal parts of themselves and it also seems like, well, actually, I don't know if this is true, where you gave the example that led your question of, you know, this guy who revealed that um, there was a kink side to him yeah. and it's, everything seems to be fine. You know, we see stories in the media all the time of people who are, quote, discovered, yeah. you know, doing. So part of it, I wonder, is mm -hmm. whether you get ahead of whether you you lead the revelation or whether you get outed. It's the cover up that gets you, not the transgression. Yeah, itself, so right? like if yeah. somebody like outed him and said this was going on, would it have been profoundly different? And he said, mm, this is this is me and I'm good with it and let's talk about this. This is awesome. And I'm I'm as competent and safe as I've ever been. And he's very aligned probably as well. Like he's, yeah. he's not, he's processed it already as Emilio was saying. Yeah. And he's not, you know, saying I'm, this. here's this shameful part of myself, which I'm going to, exposed to you it's like here's this part of myself that's yeah. it's part of me yeah. and the role of self-acceptance and self-compassion i was listening to a psychologist once talk about how people who have to hide themselves the rate of depression and suicide suicide ideation when you feel like you not that you're choosing to hold parts of yourself but when you feel like you have to hide mm. and there's shaming of things how that affects our own well-being and yeah, don't know where I was going there, but it just felt like, you know, like that clear, it takes a toll on us when we feel like we can't just be transparent. And so, and many people don't have tools for processing what's going on and they just carry it and they weighs them down. So It's interesting. I was thinking about uh, Baumeister's work around willpower, right? Yeah, you know, right. like decision exactly. fatigue, right? right? There's also like yeah. unprocessed shame fatigue, right? Exactly. Or, un, or yeah. hiding well, fatigue. And that was yeah. like, you know, like... Yeah. You know, John Sarno's whole theory on back pain. Yeah. Right? It says repressed rage or repressed yeah. shame. It's like repressed, profound emotion. 
Yeah. You know, and he was treating all these people who would come to him where like, you know, nothing else had worked. And you basically like, you know, lie down on the floor and start to just scream or cry on your, and like, I'm completely butchering his, you know, modalities and interventions, but fundamentally it's like to figure out a way to let the rage out. And it's like, oh, I'm better. That book changed my life. Did it? Actually, Amelia, you worked with me when when I was in the midst of it too. Yeah. It completely, it's really funny too. That book was mentioned and there's a new show on Showtime called Billions. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yeah. Yeah, So, and there's a, there's a subplot about it's, it's like, there's a kinky subplot where a guy's white, he and his wife are in the dominant submissive relationship. He's the submissive, she's the dominant. And then that, and then Sarno was also mentioned to address his back pain in that book. I wonder if there's something, some (laughs) undercurrent in the right, something happening in the writer's room there. Is that guessed? But it goes back to what we were talking about energy is it, it just, it has to go somewhere. And so if you're constantly holding something down, it will deplete you. And, and just being able to work with the energy that it brings up, I think is the key to having mastery. But I guess, and I think the thing, so I've lived a kind of alternative life, you know, and I think the thing I always sort of struggle with is like, well, when do I let that out? And when do I not? And And I often envy people who have, let's say, less extreme tastes than me. Because I'm like, oh, they can be more authentic, more, they can, they, they don't struggle as much because of, and then I, and I, you know, I think I have to think of, you know, friends that are homosexual and have been closeted just for the, for this very reason, right? Like we all know the power of authenticity and leadership and in our lives and in business, but there's, it's undeniable that being authentic about certain things just because of the environment you find yourself in is unsafe or going to lead to negative outcomes. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Or or it's going to put your family at risk or it's going to put your yeah. ability to support your family at risk. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, thankfully it does seem like times are changing, but um, for some things, yes, for some things, no, maybe. And yeah. uh, we're actually maybe in a political culture in our country and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole where um, there may be a reversal of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're all kind of waiting and seeing. So my last topic for my topic for uh, to wrap this up admitting to something shameful. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting. I, I, uh, as a general rule, I record this podcast in person only. And there are a number of reasons for that. You know, like a uh, number one, I just like being in a room with people, you know, there are apparently now I'm learning that the original research on, you know, like 75 to 90% of communication being nonverbal has been massively misinterpreted and butchered. And that's not actually what it says, but there's a certain, there are vibrations. There's a certain energy that happens. There's a transmission of ideas and just humanity that happens when you're in a room with person where I can read social cues. I can see your body. You can see mine. But, but the other reason is that when I'm in a room with somebody, I'm not off the hook. I have to stay engaged. You know, I don't create notes I, I genuinely do, you know, like I want to know about the person. Like I don't sit down with somebody unless I'm genuinely interested in them. And then let's have a real conversation. So it's interesting. Every once in a long while, I, I can't get the person who I want to talk to in New York in a window where, you know, I need to make it happen. So we'll agree to sh- literally ship microphones around because most people don't have the quality of microphones that we need. So, and I did this recently and we're in the conversation and, you know, brilliant person. And um, towards the end of the conversation, I said, well, why don't let, let's, let's talk about this. And there was a pause. And he's like, so you want me to talk about that again? Do you want me like, to say what, what I said again? Really? And I'm like, busted. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is why I don't like doing that. Because I know that I want to stay invested. Like it matters to me to really build rapport and conversation and I want to learn. But like even me coming from that place, when I'm sitting in, in my studio, 
in a room with a screen there and I'm kicking back and there's a microphone and there's somebody just talking into my ears. I'm, I'm just not there in the same way, you know? So I've, what I'm, you know, and I keep testing this and I keep realizing that I almost wish I was better than that. You know, I almost wish I didn't need mechanisms and tools and technologies to keep me here, but I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with the fact that I built this structure to be able to bring me to a place where I'm deeply engaged and present and learning and hopefully generous and giving at the same time, because that's how I want to live my life. And every time I back away from that, I realize that I guess going back to Baumeister's research, right? My self-regulatory abilities is apparently not too good when somebody's not in a room with me. So I'm wondering about, you know, how we build scaffolding around our ability to be our best selves when we really want to be that person. But we realize that it, it's really hard to do it 100% internally. I think it's a permission to be caveman moment. You know, your inner caveman used to only interact with people that you could see in front of you. Yeah. And so while we've learned to circumvent our caveman and woman needs, they haven't gone away. We've figured out ways to hack the system. And I think we can hack them in the short term. And the more energy you, you have to use, the less depleted you are, which means how well rested are you? When, when is the last time that you ate? Is it the end of the, the interview versus the beginning? You know, all of these things will affect us in that we are- For the record, it was late afternoon, so I was pretty low budget. <laughs> exactly, exactly, like you're low. But this is, I find this fascinating. I see this all the time. We make a person problem out of a situational or environmental problem and yeah. we blame ourselves and we think, if only I were more focused enough or if only I were more self-disciplined enough or if only I were good enough or smart enough. And half the time, it's just your animal body being like, you're asking a lot of me right now, you know that? Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate you talking about this because i'm i'm i think the bob worst bob just spaced himself no <laughs> I he's am, kidding I am, I am. <laughs> he's what, been spacing out no, i'm kidding <laughs> yeah. bob's like i'm sorry what <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah and i've been doing more interviews i've been actually you know kind of doing these sort of trial i, I may be starting a podcast like starting you know trying doing these trial interviews nah. and i was real like this is like my biggest fear because i'm doing them all on skype and i'm just you know and so, um, fortunately I have a standing desk and I've started to stand, I started to make it, put it at standing level and it, and it really like, it, I do that. And then I also just try to, I don't know, like sort of set in my mind that this person is like the most brilliant person imaginable and I'm going to hang on every word. And like, I have to kind of like beat that into my head and also do it at a time of day when I'm going to have some energy, you know, and not, not, not feeling blood sugar depleted. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm terrible. I check out all the time. Yeah, I lo I love yeah. the standing desk part of it. Actually, yeah. when when I do, I mean, generally all my meetings are walking meetings outside. But when we, you know, it's cold out now in the middle of the winter, I have I took I stole this from Amelia. I had like the little mini stepper, and I have a standing desk that I put extra high. And I was on Skype the other day with somebody, and before we like I logged on, it was a video call. I said I need to just tell you something beforehand. You're going to see me bopping up and down <laughs> for our whole yeah. conversation because that's what I need to do, not just to pay attention to you, but because this is my commitment to just taking care of myself. But it also, it does, being upright and being moving like profoundly changes yeah. my attention. Yeah. I think we have to become hackers. I think that we just need to like learn about what those evolutionary needs are and then make it happen. So it might be 20 minutes or 10 minute type of interviews to keep the attention span high or uh, I'm 
hoping that maybe this tech inspiration can uh, be translated to the people in your world, Bob, but I feel like we need to then make it video so that we're seeing people. And I think maybe we'll find technology coming out where as you're talking to the person, the computer will spit out their pheromone cocktail <laughs> and fill the room. So you think that you smell the person or, you know, virtual reality, three-dimensional figures. I think where we're going to end up going is just more and more attempts to hack the system to keep to that basic need because evolution takes a long time to, to change. It ain't going anywhere at the rate that our technology is growing. I just got my next business idea about that. <laughs> <laughs> the pheromone spritzer. No, dark chocolate IV drips. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> For late afternoon meetings. Yeah, so why don't we uh, come full circle here. We've been hanging out uh, for this week's roundtable. Second time our guests and residents have been Amelia Zivotovskaya and Bob Gower. And where can people find you, Amelia? You can find me at Amelia.com, E-M-I-L-I-Y-A.com. And at BobGower.com, B-O-B-G-O-W-E-R. Awesome. I love that you just matched my cadence or I matched yours in that. <laughs> You're in training. It's because we're all in the same room. Exactly. Smelling <laughs> the, the pheromones. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you found something valuable, entertaining, engaging, or just plain fun, I'd be so appreciative if you take a couple extra seconds and share it. Maybe you want to email it to a friend. Maybe you want to share it around social media. Or even be awesome if you'd head over to iTunes and just give us a rating. Every little bit helps get the word out and it helps more people get in touch with the message. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Invesco Distributors, Inc.